Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad. Lord, you have set aside the day of the Lord. Sunday, a day of rest, a day to seek and contemplate your face. We thank you for those who have come to the house of God, uh, not to play religion, not to participate in some ecclesiastical order or ceremony. We pray, Father God, that your presence today, already your songs, the worship, the testimonies, that we would be encouraged to know that you are strong on behalf of your people. We give you thanks, Lord, for the word of God that is a lamp unto our feet so that we not stumble and go astray and go off and over a cliff. We pray that uh, there would be oil in our lamps, that there would be a presence of intimacy with you, Lord. We're here to hear your voice. We're here to worship you. We're here to give you your worth. More than any other thing in the world, Lord, we want to receive your communication and walk in your ways and inherit your promises and all that is in the life of Christ. Remove anything that is a hindrance. Remove all impediments. Remove all things that distract us from being able to listen to your word this morning. And we pray that your word would be steadfast in our hearts as a good seed planted in good ground that will give forth good fruit, Lord. Allow us to prosper as our soul prospers, Lord. Allow your purposes to be fulfilled through our lives, through every man, woman, and child in this place, that we would be a blessing to all the families of the earth, Lord, because we have chosen that which honors you. We pray that your word not return void, but that it would fulfill the purpose for which you send it. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, the table of the Lord is sitting down to receive what God serves. And um, last night as the young university crowd was gathered, uh, they're called living stones. Um, and I can tell you they are living. They are, they are really serious about God. Um, from time to time, the one who leads that, that meeting is my oldest boy, Nicholas. And he wasn't able to lead last night because he has some law school assignments. And so he had a busy schedule. But he asked his younger brother, Brandon, to bring the word of the Lord. And, and Brandon last night preached and, and really, um, you know, they are very, um, I don't know how to describe them, but they're very lively bunch. And um, I was blessed to see the word that Brandon would bring um, to the youth um, because it's contrary to what a lot of young people are thinking nowadays. And, and pretty much what he was sharing last night is this concept of I need God in my life. Uh, a lot of people look at you and they, they ask you the question, why do you go to church? Or why do you read the Bible? Or why do you pray? And the basic premise, and I've never been able to say it like this. Um, I've never been able to say it the way he said it last night, with, which is the simple declaration 
of, you know, the principle in the word of God is God shows up to the measure of your need. And if you're not making yourself needy, then that's, that'll be the absence of God's measure in your life. So when he was sharing last night, he used Judges chapter 7, and he talked about Gideon, and, and he said that Gideon had an army of 33,000. And God told him, you better diminish the strength of the men who are numbered in your ranks. And it doesn't make sense because Brandon was talking and it's natural that when you go to a fight, the more people you bring, the more chances you have to win a fight. But in God's economy, he told Gideon, tell the men to go home. Tell the men that are too busy to go home. Tell the men that are scared to go home. Tell the men that are married to go home. Tell the men that are scared to go home. In Judges chapter 7 verse 2, God answers the reason why the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men and I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me saying, I did this in my own strength. I was saved, uh, I was able to win, I was victorious, I was strong because of the inventory of the men that were fighting on my behalf. So, so God says, you know, bring them down. And you say, well, how far did you bring them down? He told um, a good 32,700 men to stay at home and only 300 men would go to battle. And you're like, that's crazy. Why would you not take all 33,000? And God says, why? Because then you will think that you did it on your own so that the need you have for God becomes the catalyst of God showing up. And when you're doing things on your own strength, then God is not going to fight your battles. He's just gonna sit back and watch you do your thing. So, uh, I know that I've had experiences in my life where people have says, Joaquin, you use God as a crutch. I go, no, I don't. I use him as a stretcher. I use him as a flat, flatbed tow truck. He's not helping me out a little bit because I'm limping. I am thrown on the gurney of the stretcher, becoming not handicapped, but totally disabled. And then when I do that, when I make myself, and, and, and Brandon, I'm going to take his words too because I don't, want to, I don't want to diminish what he says. When I make myself weak, he is strong. And so the Jewish people knew this a little bit and they had this concept very clear in their eyes. I didn't see it with clarity until I hear this word last night. That God shows up to the degree that you need him, therefore you do not need God if he will simply not show up, the more you make yourself vulnerable for God, the more God shows up to command strength, help, and victory. First Kings chapter 18, we have this example in the life of Elijah. In the life of Elijah, we see that he's up against a strong battle and there's 450 prophets of Baal. 
and they're trying to figure out who's going to show up to fight. We can start in verse 17. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, are you the one who's bringing disaster on Israel? You troubler of Israel. Have I not brought disaster? Uh, it says, uh, oh, verse 18, he says, I have not brought Disaster on Israel, but you and your father's household have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed Baals. Now send therefore word and gather to me all of Israel at Mount Carmel together with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, the queen uh, of those who sit at Jezebel's table. Those that are doing things contrary to God, have them all come out and there's going to be a battle. And, and what strikes incredible about this competition where Elijah invites the 450 prophets, they begin to call upon their God to bring down fire upon the altar. And so they begin to cry out, and I have here verse 28, they took a bull that was given to them and prepared it and called on the name of Baal. They cried aloud, they cut themselves as was customs, they, they made all manner of blood covenants come out, verse 29, as they're calling upon their gods and when midday was post they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening but there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention so even as we're trying to cry out for help in those things which are not God there's no answer but then Elijah comes along in verse 30 and he says watch what's going to happen now Come near. So all the people came near and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Verse 31. He, he did this phenomenal thing when he took 12 stones and he surrounded the altar. And uh, the next verse says, verse 32. With stones he built the altar in the name of the Lord and made the trench around the altar large enough to hold two Sias of seed, verse 33. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill this sacrifice with four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering sacrifice and on the wood. We all know that to start a fire, you need dry wood. You need it to be impeccable for it to spark and burn the sacrifice. Verse 34, not only did he pour four water pots, he says, do it a second time. So now you have eight water pots. And then he says, do it a third time. Now you have 12 water pots. And they did it a third time. They poured water that was so much so on the wood and on the area of the sacrifice. Verse 35 that when the water ran all around the altar, it filled the trench that surrounded the altar with water. This means it's impossible for there to be a spark. It's impossible for there to be fire. It's impossible for the fragrance of the offering to go up to get God's help to prove that he's God. Verse 36. And it came to pass at that time of the offering in the evening that Elijah the prophet came 
near and said, Lord, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Now, two things are going to happen here. Either God's going to show up or there is no God. And this is just like any other religion. Verse 37, after he had prayed, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you. Why does God move in our lives so that we can come back to him? Why is it that many times we're going through different things in our lives is so that we get to the place where we admit we need God. And those are the best times of our lives. Uh, for Brandon, he says it's every time he takes a biochemistry exam. He knows he needs God. He says that he looks around the room and everybody taking the test there that he sees drinking at the fraternities and partying. Right before that test, everybody's like, everybody's asking God for help in the moment of our trials. Verse 38, turn our hearts back to you. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. It burned the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trenches. Now, I don't know of any other message that I could bring here that's worth us sitting and listening to is to bring us all to the place where we confess our need for God not for little things, not for the easy things, not for the things that we could handle. But it seems to be that we're raised in homes, and I see this, where we make, and this is, this is really serious, what I'm going to say now, we make ourselves so self-sufficient that we don't need God. I had two young men this month uh, who grew up here from the time they were babies. They must have been eight and nine years old. And now they're 25. And they said, you know something? I don't need you anymore, Pastor. I don't need you no more. I outgrew my need for a pastor. And I was like, man, that's, that's very strange because I'm 52. Last week I turned 52. And I can tell you I need my pastor. I need Pastor Richie. I need men of God in my life. I need the counsel of the Lord. I need the witness of God. I need help. I don't make myself less in need of help the older I get and the more prosperous I am. I remember when I was in my first year of law school, I was going through craziness. And I was like, God, please don't leave me. I need you and I can't make it without you. And I was like, Lord, if it's not with you, I can't do it. But then the second year of law school, I went like, hey, here I go. And I, I was like, I don't need God no more. I'm in second year law school. And I heard God says, hey, you're not going to need me this year? And I was like, wait a second. No, 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 no. God, you take second year too. You take second year too because when I could rely upon God, he'll show up self strong. And I could never get to the place where I can take a break in these affairs. And we see here in that moment where Elijah is confronted with a huge task, what he does is he makes himself more, more vulnerable before God. 
Like, like let's make sure that there's no doubt that I'm going to throw a little match in there, that there's going to be a little fire, there's going to be a spark. I'm going to do something that I produce. It needs to be something strong so that God produces. Some people don't know why we don't pick up offerings in this church. And then people are like, man, but they don't pick up money. I, I'll tell you why. Because I want the money to run out so that I could go home. But as long as God continues to finance Spring of Life Fellowship, I know it's God and not man. Amen. Do you understand that? Amen. It's like, God, are you in this place or am I manipulating people's heart? Come on, give money. We have to pay the rent. We have to pay the light bill. There's things to... No. Dying for the day that this well dries up and I'll know we're not supposed to be here. But God continues to pour out mighty provision in this house. Supernatural provision. I want to suggest just, uh, we'll read Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18. Just so that you know if you're going through financial straits is because you've tried to do it on your own. You have said, I will light the fire. I will be the one that manipulates. Guess what? I'll hold back tithes. Because if I hold back the Lord's portion, then I'll be stronger to confront my financial responsibility. Why? Because you're going to do it on your own. But God says, remember that it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to become wealthy. It's God who can blow your socks off through the roof with financial provision when he sees your confidence upon him. As long as you're conniving, maneuvering, you're doing the holy mambo, see how I could dance around this, guess what? You're on your own. But if you say, God, here it is all, and I'm abandoned to your lavish mercy. I need you entirely and wholly. I'm not going to connive anymore. I'm not going to sit there and, and try to manufacture. I'm, I'm blown away by people. I got a phone call a couple of years ago, and, and this guy says, hey, Pastor Molina, my friend has about 15 jets. If you ever need one, just go ahead and call me. I'm like, 15 jets? 15 airplanes? Yes. There is so much money that God could pour down upon us that it would make our head spin. But you know what? We probably wouldn't show up at church. We'd be too busy doing something of another priority. So the important thing here is, according to my need, according to my vulnerability, God shows up or doesn't show up. Isaiah chapter 2 Isaiah had this problem in the book of Isaiah where the people had grown in wealth and strength and their pursuit of other priorities, their idols. And he brought a message, says, um, you should recall that the end of the day, there's going to be two expressions. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 11. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. Are you an expression of not needing God? You know who knows that? Your children. Your children knows your pursuit for God or, or the absence of that pursuit. Your excuses. The pride of not needing God. 
The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men, the pride shall be bowed down. And the Lord alone shall be exalted at the end of the day. At the end of all things being said and done, uh, I thank God for what happened last night with Brandon's message. Because I, I can believe after listening to his message, I believe I've passed on a truth to my children that is priceless. You know what that truth is? That it doesn't matter how prosperous and how great life is, they need God. Doesn't matter how, they don't have issues. Like my kids don't have issues. They're, they're not suffering. They're not like going through a bad time. But they realize in their greatest time of prosperity, they need God. They need a relationship with the Lord. And the more they make their need known, the more God shows up on their behalf. How strong, how wealthy, and how much expression of your own existence is there that you conclude at the end of the day, I have need of nothing. I don't, I don't need my uncle no more. I don't need my family no more. I don't need my church anymore. This guy wrote me for my birthday. He wrote these words. Pastor, thank you for the time in which you were my leader. I'm like, you nasty little boy. Uh, Brandon says it's like the, the children back in Sunday school that, that he's teaching them how to play basketball. He's teaching them how to move tables and chairs. And this one little three-year-old girl says, Pastor, let me help you. And so she grabs the end of a table, but he makes her think that she's helping, but he's carrying the heavy load. And so sometimes God is carrying the heavy load, and we think just because we're helping him, we can get out of the way, God, here I come. I don't need the pastor no more. I don't need the church no more. I don't need family no more. I've become, what's it called? The, the, the Americans had this thing, too big for your bridges. Isn't that crazy? It's, you know, this, this message is no good unless you own it to yourself. Amen. I know you want to give it to somebody. You want to be generous. <laughs> this is a great message for my husband or for my wife. No, no, no. This is for you, my friend. This is for you because God is saying that he wants to show up in your life crazy silly. And as long as you're saying, I'm doing great. And Brandon was saying last night, some, some kids get out of high school, they get accepted into college and say, you know something? I don't need God no more. I, I don't need to go to church. I thank God for that message a thousand percent. So much so I brought it here today for you in another sort, and it just confirms. And this Psalm 100, verse 3, is one of my favorite psalms because I use it often to say it is God who made us and not we ourselves. Sometimes we forget this, but this is a powerful. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. Have you ever heard of the term self-made man? Do you know that the biggest lie on the face of the planet? That we couldn't even take a breath if God did not give us the next breath? And he says like this, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Because in one second he could take your breath and you'll be walking around with an oxygen tank asking for your next breath. 
It's really powerful to know these things and to implement them in our lives before God has to put them in front of our eyes. As we are children, we're led to believe that we can take responsibility and we grow in the sense of not needing our parents no more, not needing our family, not needing the church. And the truth of the matter is that God has provided all these things so that we would be perpetually dependent on someone other than yourself. I hope that you can praise God knowing that you did not make yourself, but that he made you. And Jesus leads by example when he says in John 5, 19, he, he says, most assuredly I say to you that the son of man can do nothing of himself. He's 30 years old. He's the son of God upon the earth. He's the creator of all things, and yet his confession is, I need people in my life. I can do nothing of myself, only what I see my father do. For whatever he does, the son of God also does in the like manner. I follow his lead. I imitate. I, I love being in the presence of, of mature leaders um, as I sit there and I just observe their lives. I'm garnering wisdom. As I sit there and participate in conversation, I'm enriching my life to how to treat my wife and my kids and my finances. It was going to Texas that I learned this concept of being generous. In a Cuban worldview, in a Latino worldview, you are a scavenger. You're walking around asking and begging for stuff. But the truth of the matter is that God is huge. John chapter 5 verse 30, the same chapter, Jesus says it again. He says, I can of myself do nothing. Have you ever gone around boasting that you can't do anything if it wasn't for God in your life? That you couldn't even confront another day? Uh, I, <laughs> The, the, the body is a wonderful mechanism here, our physiological bodies. And when I had a kidney stone some years ago, I wanted to die. And when that thing came out, it was minimal. It was like a little speck of dust. And I was like, I can't believe that a grain of sand put this man down like a crying baby. When God allows things to come into your life so that you can come to the conclusion, I can't do it on my own. I can of myself do nothing. I can of myself do nothing. This, this is throughout the life of Christ. In John 8, 28, he says it again. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. I can of myself do nothing. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. How many have a lot more to learn in life? How many want to sit there at the feet of Jesus and saying, Lord, teach me. Teach me. I'm vulnerable as all out. I need you to carry me. I need you to, to lead me to that place. And so for those of you who have seen three verses of Jesus saying he can do nothing of himself, you should come to the conclusion you could do nothing of yourself. But he has to remind us in John 15, verse 5, 
If you didn't get the message this morning, he tells you, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit. Say it with me, for without me, you can do nothing. God wants us to be at levels, listen to me, of administration, to be ministers, to be stewards, to be able to expand that which is in our influence. God wants us to rise to levels that are just way beyond your imagination. That verse that we love so much, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it come into the heart of man, the things God prepared for those who love him. For those who are prepared to manage some craziness on God's behalf. But we're not going to get anywhere remotely close to that. And that one verse of I can do nothing without him. Now I have to go to Philippians 4.13 to realize that with him I can do all things. See the difference? Without him I could do nothing. But with him... Uh, it was funny because one of the things that uh, Brandon said last night is, is here he says, um, how many think that God wanted Gideon to have any men to go to the battle? In other words, would God have won if Gideon took no men? Yes, he would have won, even without any men. He didn't need 300 men. God could have won alone. And, and, and in our concept, we said, no, God can't do it alone. I need to help him. Listen, my friend, you, I'm going to tell you right from the pulpit, are a fool. You're a fool that you thought God needed help. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's ready to take me to another level. Psalm 16, 2. I love it. You are my master. Everything good that happens in my life comes from you. My goodness comes to nothing without you, Lord. You, you find your best day, and this is what the world tries to do. I don't need God. Your seeking the Lord is just a luxury. You can afford to go seek the Lord because I'm working hard. I don't have time for God. I'm studying hard. I'm working hard. I'm living hard. But guess what? You're going to be confronted with the fact that everything you could do is zero without God. You're going nowhere. And somebody has to tell you, and I thank God you came to the house of the Lord, and he's telling you. He's telling you, don't think that in this life you will accomplish anything without me. So the quicker we are able to come to this place, and I love uh, Psalm 18, verse 28 you, Lord, will light my lamp. Without the God, we continue to go in darkness. The Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. Everything that is in a realm of the impossible becomes a possibility when my God strikes a lamp at it. Uh, verse 29, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. There's no hindrance. There's no obstacle. So the impossibility of our life is not that it's impossibility. It's that you want to do life without God. He's not at the front, forefront and pursuit of your devotion. 
Verse 30, as for God, he will command me in the way which is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield. He's a protector to all who place their trust in him. I, I have said it this year over a hundred times. If you're a parent, if you have children and you have somehow downloaded upon your children that they do not need, see the, the, the craziness? That, that they can walk absent from a devotion to Christ. You have cursed your children. You have cursed your grandchildren. These are families that are trying to move ahead at the expense of leaving God behind. Verse 31, for who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock that we could build upon except our God? Verse 32, it is God who arms me with strength and he makes my path perfect. Verse 33, the highest of places are no challenge for him. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. I can, I can go to the next level of high places and there's, it's, I'm, there's, listen to me. My next level of a high place is greater confidence in the Lord, a greater need of God. It's not like, that's it, you know, so I, I made it. I'm doing it on my own. Watch me now. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, verse 34, he teaches my hands how to fight the battles so that my weapons can, my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me a shield of salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Verse 35, your gentleness has made me great. Verse 36, you enlarge my path under me so my feet do not fall. Verse 37, I have pursued my enemies to overtake them. Neither, neither do I turn back again till they are all destroyed. Verse 38, I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. Verse 39, not because I'm strong, not because I'm mighty, but because you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. Verse 40, you have given me the necks of my enemies so that I might destroy those who hated me. See, all these, all these things consequently return to God. I'm not saying that there's not going to be incredible prosperity, success, and deliverance. I'm just saying that make God your safe place. Psalm 121, verse 1, it says, He is the place I'll lift my eyes up to. I'll lift up my eyes to the hills because my help comes from the Lord. I don't know what the allegiances are and how you put your confidence on many other things. A lot of people make other things their strength and their alliance to fight their battles. But David says, I'm going to lift up my eyes, verse 2, to the ones who created the heavens and the earth. He has the game plan. He has the know-how. He didn't come to make us religious. He didn't come to make us a people of ecclesiastical stubbornness, but people that realize their need for God and are walking in a manner, verse 3, where he will not allow our feet to slip or he will not allow us to stumble. He who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. Verse 5, the Lord is our keeper. He's the one that guards us. The Lord is our shade at our right hand. 
Verse 6, the sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. It's the Lord that will protect you, verse 7, from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will guard you going out and coming in and everything that you do from this day until forever. It's super powerful that we would, we would really not only hear this message, but have an opportunity to embrace and say, God, I need you more than I've ever needed you. At the end of the day, Psalm 103 verse 14 says that God knows, listen to me, we're the most proud and arrogant piece of dust that has fallen on this planet. He knows our frame. He remembers we're nothing but dirt but we spray some Chanel, we spray some cologne, we, we put on a suit and a tie and whoo, fancy that. Listen, you're dirt. You're fancy dirt. You need God. Your wife needs a man of God. Your husband needs a woman of God. Your children need to become those who say, I can soar the heights of prosperity and blessing, but I need God. I need God because sin is too fast upon my life. Sin, the arrogance, the pride, the self-sufficiency, all these matters have come in and they've taken the toll. Psalm 46.1, God, he is the very present help in time of need. He's going to be there for you a thousand percent. I, I want to uh, encourage you this day that you make your God your strong place, that you make your God your strength in every course of your life, that you not try to finagle. You guys like that word, finagle? Or you don't try to contrive and, and distort and dance the mambo, and you need God drastically to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a mother, to be a father, to have a family, to have finances, you know, I want to acknowledge wherever I'm going, whatever I'm doing, doesn't matter how far, how wide, I need God bad. And when your kids are like saying, well, why do we go to church? That's just the arrogance of not knowing how bad you need God. Let's stand this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We came here not knowing what you would speak, not knowing what your heart was, but we pray, God, that we would posture ourselves in the centerpiece of existence that you created us not to be self-sufficient, independent, alone, distant, and far, but close, intimate, vulnerable, weak, so that you can be our strength. We need each other. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We need wisdom. We need grace, and the closer we draw to you is the humility of acceptance that we cannot do this on our own. Forgive us. We repent for trying to pursue our own strength, our own priorities, our own deliverance. We pray that you would heal our land and that our need of you is constant and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. And the house of God says amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.